Have you ever looked in the mirror and wondered, yikes, I thought I'd be way farther ahead of my music career by now? If so, you're not alone. I spent the last few years learning from the most ingenious musicians and managers around, looking for the answers. The problem is that music is a very personal thing and the fear of rejection was holding me back, and you can probably relate to that. I realized that no one was talking about their failures and rejections in the music business, just the glory and fame. So I decided to press the reset button and start this whole music thing over, to go all out, build a music career completely from scratch. But the real question is, how will I do it? Join me on my journey as we get to the deep questions with our guests that no one cares to ask to reveal the secret strategies and techniques to skyrocket your music career and begin to shake up the music industry as we know it. My name is Eddie Villaseca, and this is Musicpreneur Movement Podcast. Hello, everyone. Today on the show, we have a... Dang it. Wait a second. Hold on. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see the bloopers of this. I'll probably mess it up again. All right, ready? Today, we have Samir on the show. He's based in Los Angeles, having joined network management in 2015, managing Grammy-nominated artists Mike Posner, Christina Perry, Mansions, Milk, Shade, Good Old War, and West Period. In 2018, he was promoted to director of A&R developing markets within Network Music Group, where his roster has amassed over 300 million streams, including Axel Flobin, Dadiri, Cheryl, Miami Horror, Tim Atlas, and Wild Rivers. Prior to joining Network, Samir was with Hong Kong-based Love the Records as head of digital marketing, Singapore and Malaysia, working with Munford & Sons, Tudor Cinema Club, Metric, and more. Samir is also a partner of Singaporean-based label services firm Secret Signals and co-host of a music industry podcast called Send your demos to Table 5 on Spotify. Welcome, Samir. What's up? Thanks for having me. How are you doing? That's an impressive resume. Thanks. Dude, you, I love that the first time you did that intro, you killed it. Had no errors <laughs> whatsoever. And then I was like, man, it's like, we're so good at this. And then, yeah. and then it's like, then you can do it again. It's yeah, amazing. I mean, uh, listeners don't have to know about that. But all right, so for people that might not know much about you, what is someone in their A&R industry do from day to day yeah i mean the a and r role is something that's it's definitely a, an interesting role because it's definitely glamorized a lot people think it's like this really cool job which you know i really do enjoy it it's the very much you know, you're the, my philosophy in a and r is that i'm a sounding board to my artist it's a creative sounding board so that's everything from the audio side to the visual side and just being that extra man there that is a uh, trusted source in, in things. So, you know, a lot of my job is really working with them and developing that final product and developing the sound and developing what they wanted and really to achieve the goals that they had and the vision that they had. Mm-hmm. So do you find people just on Spotify, YouTube? Do they send their demos or something to you? Or how does how does the whole relationship start? It really depends. A lot of times it's, you know, Spotify is definitely a great place, a great source of finding material. Um, I get sent music a lot from people, primarily from people I trust. Um, so other managers, other people that labels, friends, lawyers, they're sort of the, the uh, people that send around a lot of music. And uh, it's, it's really from there you kind of connect with the artist. And, and, you know, if you love the music and you you know, a lot of times you're able to understand the vision right off the bat. And I think that's the clearest thing. Once you get that, you try and connect with them and make sure everything's aligned and the goals are the same. And 
you know, I think a part of that's also knowing my strengths as an A&R, what they sort of need and, and you know, our strengths as a company, how that definitely comes to uh, align with the artist's goals as well. Mm-hmm. Got it. So what drew you towards the A&R business? Did you know someone into it that you learned from or, you know, how did you jump into that? No, I mean, I've always wanted to be an A&R since I was 14, but it was a, a job that I always knew about, but it, it, it has a bit of mystery to it in all fairness. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that's maybe changed over the years, but, you know, I think it's one of those things where you constantly hear that term being thrown around and no one fully understands what it does. Right. Uh, and I think from a young age, when I read, you know, when I bought albums and reading through the, the booklets, it's a name you constantly saw. It's something you um, had reference to in, in many different places. And, you know, for me, it was like, I was like, oh, this is so cool. I get to find artists. I think for me as a kid, I just always wanted to find the next big thing and the next best thing and just constantly search for, for new bands and new artists. So this is, you know, I'm, uh, sort of development of that and at a point where I'm fortunate enough that I'm getting paid for that and paid for my opinions on it too. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it, it, it's a role that I've always felt that I, that I wanted to do. And uh, in all honesty, didn't know how to do it. And even to this day, you know, I think a lot of it's just knowing my strengths versus my weaknesses. Like I'm not, there are many A&Rs that were ex-producers, ex you know, they worked in the studio. They understand music theory in incredible depths. And that's something I'm not for me. It's, mm-hmm. that's definitely a weakness of mine. And I know that, but then I also know what my strengths are, which are putting together people and understanding where, how they vibe and how they can work together and how they can develop something. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's playing into your strengths and weaknesses. And I think that's sort of what makes the a role so mysterious is because every a is very different. Every a has a different process every A&R works differently with every artist. It's very much a personal relationship um, that they have with the artist and, and the final album or whatever mm-hmm. process they're going through. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, that's, that's really important to be able to build teams. You're going to be spending time with these people for a long time, especially when you're on tour and things like that. So speaking tours and things related to that, you know, we've been getting in with COVID. How's that been for, the A&R business, the music industry as a whole, what have you seen from the inside? You know, I think it's definitely split into, I think, you know, I, the tour inside's definitely been killed off completely. And I think mm-hmm. at this rate, we're not looking at touring until maybe in the fall of 2021 at this rate um, is how things are going. Fortunately for me, a lot, you know, the way that we're structured is our revenues primarily driven by streaming and not the tour inside. Granted, you know, Torrent side has halted a bit of growth in certain acts, but for the most part, I think Universal reported that streaming was up 12% in the last quarter. Um, and you're starting to see more people just be home and be on the devices and are streaming more and, and engaging with artists even more. So we're fortunate enough where on an A&R level, we're still signing acts. We're still looking for acts. In all honesty, our labels business as usual for the most part. Uh, we've had no layoffs. We've had nothing of that sort in terms of personnel and staff. It's, it's very much marching forward. I think we're fortunate. We've always been a nimble company that's not out there to spend millions and millions of dollars on radio campaigns and things like that. So I think that leadership from the get-go at the company has, has allowed us to weather these sort of instances and, and circumstances that we're facing. So mm-hmm. yeah, 
for the most part, it's business as usual. We're all working remotely. And there, there are instances, for example, I was in New York when the U.S. finally mm-hmm. finally decided to halt for COVID in, in the middle of March. And I, was in, I flew into New York because I had a band wrapping up a record in Connecticut with a producer named Peter Caddis, who does the National and a bunch of other incredible records. And it was cool to go down there. But by the time I landed in New York, the band was like, look, we're going home to Toronto. We can't do this. We, we just want to get home. And totally acceptable, totally understandable. But they have a record that's half done. Yeah. That, uh, they're trying to figure out how to do that remotely. So, you know, the things like that where it's affected certain artists's ability to jump on a flight and get into rooms and things like that. But for the most part, it's, I think it's allowed certain artists to stay at home. You know, a lot of these artists haven't been home in a while, so it's nice Mm -hmm. for them to be at home, but also learn their craft even more. You know, a lot of them have picked up, become their own producer and uh, production techniques where they can record stuff on their own, which is going to be great down the line when things do get back to some sort of normalcy, when they can write and record on their own and not have to worry about that. Yeah, so, you know, I think I think it's, it's sure there's a lot of negativity, but I think there's a lot of positives out of it too. If you kind of focus on that and you can grow from that, then, you know, the things to learn. Yeah. So you mentioned they haven't finished the album. Is that something they can do from home and then compile it and then throw it back out? Or do you think it'll be longer pause for that? That's a great question. We paused it a little bit right now. And we're trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. As so I think more than likely they're going to find a way to finish recording parts remotely. Um, you know, the tools like audio movie, movers rather that, that are very helpful in, in recording remotely and kind of plug that straight into Pro Tools and people can stream stand out of studios and things like that with very little delays in, in audio. So, um, yeah, the, the, you know, I think artists and and producers are getting creative and you know it'd be interesting to see how writing works with people doing remote sessions and things like that how that's gonna mm-hmm. change writing. but yeah i think people are just trying to cope and and make the best out of it yeah and you mentioned there were certain artists that are picking up new skills and things like that and i've actually read a few articles about yeah a lot of artists are kind of moving away from doing like a record label thing and learning those things on their own. Um, have you seen a lot of that in your experience? A lot of indie people? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times we sign a lot of those artists. You know, I think I think the a part of an artist's vision is also knowing their business and knowing how that mm-hmm. works. I, I love it when artists are able to, you know, a band that I signed called Wild Rivers, they were already at 75, 80 million streams when we signed them. You know, mm-hmm. That was something that, they had already accomplished on their own. And, and we love that. We love that they know how to do things on their own and they understand their business and understand how they work. Axel Florent was a similar thing where I think he was at 40, 50, 60 million streams when we signed him. And, uh, and, and again, it's, it's partnering with these artists that are able to take it to a certain level and then us kind of coming on board to take it to the next level. I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's, it's that foundation that they built. The more that they know, the more that they are able to grow is, is, is fantastic. And, you know, we, we encourage that. We encourage them to be part of that. And also, sorry, one second. <laughs> it's a really large truck that's driving by. Yeah. 
sorry about that. Um, it's definitely something we encourage. We want them to be proficient in their own business and, 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 you know, makes our jobs easier too mm-hmm. when a bit of momentum going on their own. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's really important because I feel like most people, they focus on the music, the art, that type of stuff. And they forget that it's also a business. Like you have to make the sales if you want to make money so you can keep doing music. And, and that's a whole vision behind musicpreneurs. Like not only knowing, knowing the music part of it, your art, your craft, but also putting it together with the business side. And I think, I mean, kind of pretty much what you said, like it's really important to know both. And it's, that's great that you have that vision for those artists to come in. So let's say for the artists that are coming in, is there mentorship or someone like kind of guides them through or how does it work? Like once they come into the network group, well, let me just go back to that last point that you brought. You know, I think one of the other things that you see in labels is this like savior complex where they expect the label to kind of do everything. Mm. Uh, and it's like, I got the music now, now it's the label's job mm. to do everything else. And that's not necessarily the case. It's really both parties. The way that we approach it, it's a partnership. Uh, our right. deals are JV deals. Mm-hmm. They're all partnerships. Um, so it's very much a, um, a 50-50 split in terms of how things are developed and, and, and moving forward. So because of that, you know, to your point, it, it's, it's something where knowing that business is helpful because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, when you go into a JV, you, you partner up businesses, essentially. It's mm-hmm. not them come to us and we tell them what to do by any means. We allow them to be the creative force and vision and, and that's on them to help develop as well. So when it comes to mentorships, I think as a team, it's, you know, a lot of that takes a lot of times. I think a lot of them already have their own teams built out. They already tend to have management. They tend to have agents. And a lot of times a label is sort of the last piece of the puzzle when it comes to that. Um, you know, when, when you sign to network, you get, we, we have over 90 staff members worldwide, offices in, in five different countries. Um, so, you know, you get product managers, you get sales teams, you get in-house publicists. Um, you have a radio team. So, you know, you have a sync team. There are all these people that come alongside digital marketing mm-hmm. people and aid to the team that you already have. You know, a lot of times I also encourage artists that if they have their own teams, just let's, let's keep them in place too. Let's not, you know, if you have a publicist that you love, let's keep them in, involved. There's no reason to, to change, the, change the entire team because you signed a deal. Um, I think it's keeping that, keeping those relationships are important in, in building correctly as well. So yeah, yeah there, there are people that are involved, but you know, we're very much the last piece of the puzzle. And I think there isn't like a mentorship program per se, but there's definitely, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, one thing. But there's definitely a team of people around them that can help um, guide them throughout the ways. And you know, they have business managers and managers and they have a bunch of people in there already. Yeah. And that's, that's what I liked about, you know, I've known about your stuff for a while and the way you made it seem was more, yeah, like a JV partnership, like you're talking about. Most people think, or they probably had this experience where the record label takes most of everything and they're kind of seen, you know, as the big person that takes the whole money. And yeah, it's good to see people like 
you and your company talking about, Hey, there's a partnership. We don't want you to get rid of the people that you have, like, cause they're the ones that, you know, the community that you have around you. So I think that's really cool. So what were certain struggles, I guess, in the beginning, when you first got into this business, were there certain things that were hard for you to overcome or was it pretty easy? Were there certain bumps along the way? Yeah, there definitely. Do you mean in, in, in terms of the industry as a whole? Yeah. So not only, yeah, in the industry, but also like within the personal side, you know, was there a part of you that thought, Hey, maybe this isn't for me. And you had to overcome something like that. Or was there a point where that type of thing happened? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, going back in my background of working music, it's like, I was just a kid in Singapore that loved punk rock records. That's how I got into music. I played in bands, like used to go to warehouse shows back in the day when I was like 14, 15 and just like met a bunch of people. And, you know, my first job in, in music was, you know, outside playing in music was working at a record store. And it's interesting because I've never had an interview in the music industry. It's always been someone knew me, someone knew me and that's sort of how I got my role. I never interviewed for anything mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to it, but all that comes down. I, I can literally trace back every job back to the first time I ever worked at a record store. Like all those relationships come from that. Um, so it's very much a relationship thing, but you know, there's definitely a point when I was like, there, there were, you know, when I, when I came out to state university, I had to go back because I was like, there's no way I can get a U.S. visa to work in, in the States because entry level industry jobs can go to anyone. It doesn't have to be me. Like anyone can do this job as an Indian citizen. It's very hard to, prove that I can do this over every American because it, I can't. Mm-hmm. So I went back to Singapore and started, you know, what, what initially happened was I realized there was a gap in terms of, in terms of how artists are treated in Asia, in terms of marketing and press. And I realized that's a gap for a lot of independent artists. So I built out a company initially that I, and you know, this one I was working at an ad agency to kind of pay the bills and then doing this on the side. Mm-hmm. and started working uh, for a record label named Hopeless Records. That was a punk rock label. And basically out of that, we sort of grew a business. And I slowly started getting more managers call, more artists call. But then I also realized this isn't a gap for independent artists. This is also a gap for major label artists. Like as a whole, there's a gap in, in Asia when it came to any artist, because unless you're a priority at a major label, you're not getting the support. Mm. So out of that, I pretty much created this company named Secret Signals with two partners that, um, that I had back then. And, and we sort of grew into, into this gap and kind of have developed a team. You know, it's my, my two partners, Esmond and Edwin, I've known for years. Edwin was my intern and I was Esmond's intern when I was 14. So that's the lineage of that. So it's, it's one of those things where uh, we've always kept, you know, the, the concept of community is really important, just like an artist, the community around them. It's always a red flag to me when an artist says, I don't have any photographer friends, I don't have any video friends. If you're not working, if you don't have friends in those creative circles, like why you were creative, like how you were creative, you must have mm-hmm. those. And just like that, it was very similar in the business side, but these creatives with very similar philosophies on the business side that, that we shared and were able to grow that. So that was definitely something that, I knew I had to build out of my own and, and that I, that's what I knew that if, you know, an opportunity to come back to the States, 
it'd be based on that value. And that's, def- and that's exactly what happened um, when I got a call from network. It was based on, you know, a lot of the visa stuff. And a lot of my role was based around what I'd already done in Asia um, and was able to use that to secure the, the visa to work here and also build on that too. Um, so yeah, that's sort of the, the bumps that I had in, in terms of that. But I think at the end of the day, I, I also had a goal and I always told, you know, I interned at a label in, in Orange County probably like 12, 13 years ago. And I knew, and I told myself then, I was like, if I come back to LA and live in LA, it has to be for the right job. Like everyone I entered would literally move, pack their bags and move to California that next summer. And I was like, I can't do that. I need to make sure it's the right job. And I need to make sure that's able to take me to the next level when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's what happened. And then Tom Gates, who I met in Singapore, who was my boss at Network, is my boss at Network, hired me. Then on the management side, had this incredible run. You know, I was probably absolutely terrible at management. Mm-hmm. It's still one of the hardest roles. It's something to me, I have a, a lot of respect for managers that have done that at such a high level and consistently. And then Terry McBride, who's one of the founding partners of Network, was like, look, you're a shit manager. Come join A&R. So I did. And that's what I wanted to do. I'll do it. So it's something that I'm still, in terms of the struggles of an A&R, it's, there's no real, you know, you can't really read it from a book. Right. It's not something that, you know, and every day I'm sort of still learning and growing and learning more about the production side and learning about producers and how they work. And it's a constant... Uh, involvement and it's a constant involvement of artists too you know i think a and r starts at the human level if if humans are not developing and, and the artists as people are not developing that there aren't one developed too so it starts there um and i think that's the most important part when it when it comes to artist development is making sure as as humans the artists are growing as well mm-hmm. that's a really that's a cool story um so when you mentioned about having that community, having that connection, what are certain characteristics that you enjoy about the artists that you work with? I think at the end of the day, it's their own vision of the music and their own perspective. You know, I don't want to work with something or someone that's a carbon copy of someone else or the influences. Mm-hmm. I want them to have their own perspective on things. And when I look across my roster, everyone has a, comes from a different life everyone comes from a very unique background everyone um you know when i look at my roster i have everything from dance music to an indie rock band to um singer songwriters to a more americana leading act so it's really all over the place uh, it, when i look at it and that's what i love about my roster and mm-hmm. they all as individuals just come from different backgrounds and have different perspectives on life and understand that and are able to show that through their music, which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. So we're just going to give you a few, we're calling them mixer quick round questions. All right. Cool. All right. So uh, what was your first car? I never drove, so I've, I've never had a car. That I is interesting. I still remember that was actually one of my favorite stories that for some reason stuck in my head whenever I remember we were driving around and our mutual friend was like, Hey, Samir, look, gas is really low. And you're just like, the, like a flat face. You're like, I don't have a car. So why would I care? Yeah. And for some, I don't know why that's stuck in my head. Okay. Yep. So still no car. All right. 10 years later, here I am. Still nice. <laughs> so wait, 
do you have a driver's license or you just have nope nothing nice okay um okay so instrument you wish you could play uh probably the piano piano the piano yeah okay what about a superpower that you wish you had uh like the flash i'd love to get stuff done quicker like the mundane boring stuff that i hate doing if i can get that done quick and move on with my life uh-huh. so that's my superpower flash okay i like the flash so if you could have a song play like a theme song play every time you enter a room what would that be oh man a really good question uh i don't think i have one but uh, no punk rock music no i think like a song that I've loved for the last few years have been, has been this rapper named Octavian. And he's, he has a song called Party Here, which I <laughs> love. And it's, it's like this lo-fi, super down-tempo song, but it's so good. So maybe yeah. that. I like parties here. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Is there a secret talent that you have that not many people know about? A secret talent that I have? Mm-hmm. Um... I can touch my nose with my tongue. That's it. A <laughs> secret talent. There hey, that's, uh, I mean, that's, I don't know if it's like America's Got Talent type of level, but. Maybe, I mean, maybe next year. I'll yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the best piece of advice you ever received from anyone? Oh, man, I've had it a lot. Um, you know, I think it really comes down to relationships in this industry and, and anything in life. So for me, it's always about about just building a net. You know, I think I think when it comes to, to people and people you work with, it's it's never about. You know, I, I always feel like I know when I'm going to work with people, and it doesn't have to be now. It doesn't have to be next week. It's down the line or something. When I build relationships, I build relationships because I like them as humans, not if we're going to work together, anything of that sort. So mm-hmm. you know, I think just be the real self and be who you are. I think that's going to, that's going to speak loud. I think for me, it's always about, I always felt that, you know, so someone told me that to reach out to artists early in their career versus later uh, and be the first one to reach out. That's something I've taken to heart and done that. Every, every since I heard that every time I find an artist I love, I reach out to them mm-hmm. like, quickly and you just never know i think at the end of the day it's if you love the music you're just showing them as fans and you never know what might happen but you know just just saying hi and saying you're listening and love what they're doing is i think key and, and that's my approach with a lot of things yeah yeah that's really good no intentions attached just really enjoying yeah. them uh what is the worst piece of advice you ever received the worst piece of advice i've ever received I have no idea. You just received lots of great advice, apparently. That's good, though. Well, I don't know what bad advice... What defines bad... I mean... I don't know. Did someone tell you to buy a certain kind of pants or something? No. I don't know. Bad advice. Can't Honestly, can't think of one. <laughs> Sorry. That's a good thing. And what is the weirdest fashion style comment that you've received? Like, has anyone ever commented on your fashion... And then it was just like a weird comment. A weird comment? Mm-hmm. What weird? Or interesting comment that you've never heard anyone say about your fashion. Uh, I don't know about fashion, but people have said that I look like the dude from um, 
fuck? What's that show? From Twilight, the uh, what's his name? The wolf. The I've never seen Twilight, but I know like the top two characters. What? I guess Edward and uh, the other guy. What's the other guy? Uh, man, this would be a good pop quiz. Uh, I know who you're talking about, though. They they call you. They say you look you. I mean, Halo I can Lock. see it. I don't see it. And, I, <laughs> and the funny thing is, I got I met Taylor at a party once, uh-huh. and I I like looked at him and I was like, <laughs> no, like I don't understand why people. I've done that quite a bit, and the other one's Usher. Usher, okay. <laughs> so I mean, those are pretty strange comments when it comes to. Has anyone come up to you thinking you were one of those two people? I hey. no, that's definitely not happened. But I've had. Um, I've had, no, I don't think people have come up to me thinking of them, but I've had fans. <laughs> no, I mean, like, have you had fans that have come, come up to you, like their fans come up to you? No, not yeah, at hey. all. No, no, Man. but, um, yeah, no, I, but people, for some reason, I get Taylor Lochner and, and Usher. I mean, that's a good, good mix, I guess. Yeah. So you mentioned punk rock. That was like your thing. Yeah. Um, do you play any instruments like electric guitar or yeah, I de- have I you ever had long hair or anything? Definitely had the emo look mm-hmm. when I was younger. Played guitar. I learned how to play the organ for eight years. Absolutely shite at it. Like terrible. <laughs> the organ? The organ. Yeah. My mom sent me to organ classes. <laughs> uh, and then I learned how to play guitar. Yeah. I played the electric guitar for her few years and then just gave up realized i realized that um 20 of someone else's talent is worth more to me than 100 percent of mine so so okay that's really random so why organ and not like piano or something like i have no idea literally no idea well i mean you're the first person i've heard of that so did your parents play instruments also I think my mom played the violin when she was younger, but mm-hmm. that was sort of it. They weren't very musical otherwise. Mm-hmm. Did they push you towards music, or is it just something that you got into? Uh, you know, as an Asian kid, definitely got pushed into learning music mm-hmm. uh, as a hobby. They didn't expect me to have a career out of it, and definitely did not push me into having a career out of it. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yeah. What do they think whenever you got into the A&R business? Um, they actually, I think both my parents passed away by the time I became an a Yeah, both my parents passed away by the time I became an A&R. So um, they didn't know about that. But like when I started, you know, when I launched Secret Signals and did all that, I think they, my, my mom slowly understood what it was. At the end of the day, as long as I'm able to pay the bills, they're happy. Mm-hmm. So I think that was sort of it. You know, even to this day, my family doesn't... Uh, uh, doesn't fully understand um, what I do. Um, on my wife's side, I'm fortunate where my uh, my brother-in-law used to play in a band and play music and, and signed a deal. I toured, was semi-successful. So they understand the industry in that sense. In fact, I remember a couple of years ago, we went to a party at his house and my dad was like introducing me to music attorneys and agents and things like that. So it's, it's really nice having that because they actually understand what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
is your, yeah. is your wife into music also into that business uh no she is a uh she is a developer like a coder she's a CTO. oh dang that's pretty cool that's really impressive yeah yeah she's way more impressive than me <laughs> you and your organ playing yeah exactly uh, ushers playing the organ what that's crazy <laughs> oh man all right, Samir. Uh, we'll... the, the opening of Yeah, that song. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely the organ. <laughs> oh, man. They're like, oh, I can see it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, man. All right. Well, Samir, thank you so much for coming on the show. Dude, thank you so and, much. And um, yeah, where can people go find you? And you mentioned you have a podcast, but how's that going? Yeah, I have an, a podcast that my friend Stevie and I, Stevie's based in London runs this incredible record label called Akira Records. Um, and Steve and I have known each other for years and we uh, were sitting at we were sitting at the Soho House once and constantly joke about how Soho House is just like this hotbed of AR because I don't know if you've been to Soho House in LA, but a bunch of music execs are like work out of there and just it's like a joke, essentially. <laughs> so we came up with this idea of we're we're sitting at dinner once and we're like we should create a podcast and call it send your demos to table five because we were just at this table and, and you know, we joke that it's the hotbed. So what, you know, when COVID started, we're like, look, we've been wanting to do this for a year. Let's do this. And sort of kind of what you're doing and interviewing different people in the music industry to learn more about what they do, kind of have COVID's affected that. Um, and, and kind of, you know, in, in all honesty, it was a, a great way for us to, network with people that we haven't talked to in a while and just catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've had Shura on there, which was super cool. Ryan Chisholm, who's like head of work of art and, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and Arista Records. And then, you know, we've had, we've had Parker, that's at Interscope. We've had Ali, who manages Arlo Parks. It's like one of the buzziest acts right now. Mm-hmm. Super cool to have him. Uh, our dear friend Jeremy, who manages some really cool acts like Almond Brown, you know, he's done Almond Brown's done like 100 million streams. So it was super cool having all these people kind of come on the pod and, and just like chat. And really, we're just there to talk and, and just learn about each other. And, and, you know, I think it was a great way of um, connecting when when we had when we we're all in quarantine and had very limited human contact. It was mm-hmm. it was a great way of uh, spending an hour a week kind of just chatting. Um, talking so yeah that's sort of how that is and our dear friend Keith Goodwin that played in a band called Good Old War is our producer for that podcast too and he's been incredible and it, it's you know we're a solid team of three that we just enjoy doing what we're doing and doing it yeah. fun. that's what you gotta do alright so that one's only on Spotify correct? yeah, yeah. Okay. Away from that Spotify bag yeah <laughs> alright we'll go check that show out alright and last thing I want to ask you is um how can I be praying for you? I don't know. That's a great question that I don't really have anything. Just, I guess, for the world right now, the bigger well, things out there. Yeah. All right. I will do that. And yeah, Samir, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we'll hopefully we'll have you back. Thanks, Eddie. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Hold up. If you gained some great value, make sure to rate, review, and share with someone you care about. As a thank you, I'll be doing a giveaway for $100 and or a free 45-minute music career coaching call with me. So if that sounds like something you like, take a screenshot of your review and tag us on your social media post to be entered into the drawing. We'll be doing this every month, so see you soon.
Now back to the jam. 